Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by Safe Flight Auto Glass. Keep the drive going with Safe Flight. I am merely Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. My good friend, it is Penn State week. It is an elimination game for Ohio State in the college football playoff. It is a validation game for Penn State with a win. You could not argue that they were anything other than the best program in the Big Ten, for they have proven it two years in a row with a win in Columbus on Saturday. You want Heisman implications? We got those two. You got maybe the front runner and Saquon Barkley and JT Barrett's what the third betting choice? All of that <laughs> on the line. I, here's what's cool about this, my man. I don't remember a game with this type of juice at 3.30 in a long, long time. These are Ooh. usually 8 o'clock or the Michigan game. To have a 3.30 game, you know, late October, November, outlined against a blue-gray October sky, we kind of have all that stuff on play on Saturday night. I, I'm, I'm so stoked for this. I mean, we've all been waiting for it. We've been playing these Are We There Yet games for five weeks, and we finally reached our destination. Wally World is here, and Penn State's coming to town on a Saturday. I'm really excited. I, I love the fact that you brought up the 330 game. That's so nice that we can talk about a game that's actually going to be you know, ending at a reasonable hour, and we can kind of digest right. it a little bit. I, I think that's great. I'm really excited for the fact that it's kind of a late afternoon game as opposed to you know starting at 830 or night or something silly. Um, so I think that's cool. Obviously, like you said, this has gigantic implications for what's going to happen for the rest of the year. I personally, I mean, I, I, I don't think that Ohio State should be seven-point favorites or five-and-a-half or whatever it's at right now. Um, I think it's going to be yeah. an unbelievably close game because these, these two teams, I mean, I love the fact that it's just strength on strength in some areas, and I also love the fact that both teams can kind of take advantage of the other team in other areas. I just think it's going to be a really exciting game. I think it comes down to the quarterbacks, which also makes for a really fun game to watch. So you're right. There's everything's on the line, and it's really what the entire season has been building to at this point. Yeah, and you know, late, we're going to have Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports and Sports Illustrated is going to join us here momentarily. And later on in the show, we will do our three things, and we'll get into some serious matchup breakdowns and stuff. But, but big picture, as we jump out of the gates, um, this the, the all of the pressure is on Ohio State, all oh, yeah. of it. I mean, Penn State, Penn State's number two in the country. They're undefeated. If they lose in Columbus, even if they lose by two scores, they're not out of anything. They no. are not out of anything. They are still in the national championship picture. They're still in the playoff picture. Uh, they, they could still make a run for Urban Meyer. Th this would be if you start to think about big games. You know, you'd have to you say to yourself, all right. Last year, you lose at Penn State. You beat Michigan, but you lose to Clemson. You lose to Oklahoma. If you lose to Penn State, again, for a second consecutive year, I mean, I, I mean what I say, you, you, even the most scarlet and gray bleeding fan would have to say, and you would have to look past recruiting and NFL and talent because all we judge these guys on is how good are you at college football. And for the two-year period, Penn State would have been, will have been better if they win in Columbus. We haven't had a situation like this for Urban in, in, at Ohio State. The, the closest I can think is the stretch after 2012 going into the 2013 season at the end of it when you lose to Michigan State, you lose to Clemson in the Orange Bowl, and you lose to Virginia Tech in 2014. And there are so many parallels between 14 and 17. It's a little <laughs> bit scary. Um, yeah. But, but he's, his back's up against it, to say the least, the most that it's been in Columbus. Well, I mean – you know, most of the times the metric is Michigan, right? So you're, you're comparing how you do yeah. against Michigan. Michigan is the standard and, and that's what you want to go after, but that's not the standard anymore. It hasn't been the standard for a really long time. And you're right. 
right now, Penn State is the team that you measure yourself against in the Big Ten if you want to say that you are like an elite football team. Well, that's the closest thing that you have next to Ohio State in the Big Ten. You got to be able to beat that team consistently if you want to prove that you're Urban Meyer and you're one of the greatest coaches and all this other stuff. And he's proven that. I mean, I'm not trying to like you know take Absolutely. away from his legacy. Nor am I. I want to be abundantly clear. I'm not right. either. I don't. He's, he is all the things we want him to be. But for this sure. moment in time, this two year period, if Penn State wins in Columbus, they're the best program in the Big Ten. You right. can't argue it. Right. And and that's and exactly. And it's all about what's going happening going forward. Penn State has a lot of momentum. Whether Ohio State fans want to admit that or not, they have an incredible amount of momentum as a program. Yeah. Uh, James Franklin has shown that he can coach, he can recruit. That's That combination of factors in a coach has not been super common in the Big Ten and certainly not in a really big powerhouse program like Penn State, or at least a program that has the potential to be a powerhouse uh, in a long time. And so, look, when you have had a position in the Big Ten like Ohio State has had, right, for a very long time where there really hasn't been any kind of football program that can match them in terms of both talent, um, recruiting, and then coaching all together, mm-hmm. and then somebody kind of comes up and, and maybe challenges that throne a little bit, then you've got to deal with it. And the way you deal with it is you beat those teams at home, right? You yep. beat, that, you beat right. those teams at home where they're the second-ranked team in the country and you're, you know, you're in the top ten as well. Uh, and you make a statement, and that's what Ohio State has to do. I, I don't like if they have a you know a rough looking game and they win. Of course, they're going to be excited. But honestly, I think Urban Meyer really needs to stomp on James Franklin and State Nittany Lions because yeah. they got they got to make a statement. They have to make a statement that they are better than what you saw against Oklahoma, and that they've improved immeasurably in the several weeks since then. And then make their case to the the playoff committee uh, by you know taking out Penn State at you know the shoe on Saturday. Yeah, especially. With- you're right. And and also from the standpoint, from an urban perspective, I mean, when he prides himself as an offensive coach and his offense yeah. has fallen flat in its last big tests, you know, so it, they really, and Penn state's defense, we'll talk a lot about Barkley and McSorley and Gasecki and all the talent, the two big kids at receiver, all the talent they have offensively, but defensively, they're the number one defense. What are they? Number one rush defense in the country. I mean, yeah, they're, they're up there. Yeah. Penn state's really good defensively. So, um, you know, this is a huge test, and there, this will be validation for the moves Urban made in the offseason. And it will it will prove if everything we've seen over the last five weeks is a mirage or if it's real. Uh, <laughs> can they move the ball against Penn State? We'll find out. Um, and, and we'll get into some of those X's and O's a little bit later in the show and, and some things that we're looking forward to. The last thing I want to get to out of the jump here is, is that the fact that Ohio State is going to be wearing clown suits that are being <laughs> sold to us that they're wolves or something. I, I don't, I don't, it's not, look, I, I don't want it to, I don't want to be too get off my lawn, but, and yet I will be get off my lawn guy. If you want to wear this stuff, wear it against Oklahoma, I guess, if you have to, but not against Penn state and not against Michigan. Damn it. I mean, against Ohio, against Penn state and Michigan, because the, the way that I view this is, is this, this is my, the simplest take I can take on this. When you watch the, uh, the HBO documentary, Ohio state and Michigan, you remember that one? The rivalry, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that huge build up to the game I mean, it was ridiculous. It was incredible. And, and you see, the the first in the first two minutes of it, they're they're talking about what it means, and they have a photo, fo- an image. It's a it's a piece of video of a of a camera set up on the on the field, and you see silver hats and winged helmets, right. and you see them collide. Ten years from now, if a classic game is played Saturday at the Shoe, and you go and look at an image of it. And Ohio State's wearing what to me looks like gray camouflage, like they're like a SWAT team. 
Like, <laughs> what the hell is that? What in the hell is that? Nike makes them do it. I get it. Ohio State and Urban, they all hide. That's the only thing I'm critical of Urban with. I don't know why he does this stuff. I know why he does because Nike pays him. But they will hide it under the, the guise of the kids like it in recruiting, and that's a bunch of nonsense because Alabama doesn't do it, and they have the number one class every year. So you don't need to do it. It has nothing to do with that. They do it because Nike can sell a lot of Ohio State merch, and that's why they do it. And that's fine. It's the deal. But not against Penn State, not against Michigan. Save that garbage for Maryland, any other night game you play. That's the way I sit on it. I think these things look like clown suits. Uh, it's a shame it's in this game, for me at least. Maybe my take on it, it's a little too harsh, but that's where <laughs> I sit on it. I'm not as – look, I'm not as anti-clown suits as you are. Um, I do think they look ridiculous. I, I'm not a big fan of They're the awful. overall effect. I thought for a second, like the promo shots, they made them look as cool as they possibly could, obviously. I'm like, okay, this might work. And then they actually showed they released some of those full body shots where you see yeah. how the pants and the, it looks it just looks bad. Um, it kind of looks like something. Somebody were making jokes about this looking like Pleasantville, you know, with Tobey Maguire and everything's in black yeah. and white. It's kind of depressing and sad. Yeah, Ramsey made the joke Schindler's List, <laughs> right? All the gray with slight with a little bit of red. Yeah, it's it's well, Jeez. that's that doesn't portend. Uh, if you've seen the movie, uh, it doesn't pretend super no. well for Iowa State. But it doesn't anyway. My, I don't mind necessarily the old uniform. I just think you got to make them look good. And I, I was a huge fan of the blackout uniforms. I thought they looked great. I thought the effect in the stadium was great because everybody showed up in black. It was cool counterpart to the whiteout that the you know Penn State fans do. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot, and I think that's fun. But it's got to work, and it's got to make sense. It's got to be interesting. Land of the Wolves is a phrase that they were using. One of those pump up, you know. Okay. Row the boat type crap that they there did last NC year. NC State is the wolf pack. Yeah, so it doesn't like, even make sense. Well, wear wolf it, uniforms. It comes from, but, but, Bo, it comes from uh, Sicario. It comes from the, the movie about drug runners. And at the end of the movie, uh, Benicio Del Toro uh, turns mm. to, uh, what, Emily Blonde or whatever and says, this is the land of the wolves. Like, he's running drugs. And, like, that's the, that's the, the catch. And everyone's like, that's yeah, where this badass. came from? But we did that. That was in 2016. When they right. did not live up to expectations, and now they're trying to revive something that they really haven't talked about a lot about, and yeah. I just don't see it as a a huge motivator for anybody. And I really hope they come out and just stop in state because they they've got to make up for how they're going to look when they run out of the tunnel. So it's not going to be great. I don't mind. I, in fact, I like the homages to because Ohio State has worn a lot of uniforms over the years, and I like the when they pay homage to the old teams. Oh yeah, like some no, of the I ones they've that. done. Those are great. I love those. I'm fully supportive of those. But the black ones, and I know you liked them, I hated them, and, and this thing, like, it just, it, you're not Ohio State, and you shouldn't have to do that, and I wish they wouldn't. All right, still to come, uh, we will get into some of the X's and O's on this thing, but coming up next, we'll be joined by college football reporter, one of the best in the business, Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports and Sports Illustrated. He's got a new book coming out that I look forward to talking to him about as well. That is coming up next, but first, there's a clear choice in Autoglass Repair, and we're proud to have them as a title sponsor of this fine program, Safe Flight Autograss, the Columbus-based industry leader, has become that for a good reason. Simply put, no one does Autoglass like Safe Flight. Here's how it works. You're on a road trip, maybe to a Buckeye football game. You get a chip in your windshield. You go home. You call Safe Flight. They either repair or replace your windshield completely at your convenience without taking up your time. I've had the Safe Flight experience, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. I recommend it to you as highly as I possibly could. Keep the drive going with Safe Flight. 
It is our great pleasure to welcome into the program one of the very best at covering college football. His name is Bruce Feldman. You know him for sure. He works for Fox Sports, also for Sports Illustrated, and is the author of the upcoming book, The Quarterback, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks. Bruce, thank you for the time, and, and it's fun to have you on. You've been around the sport so long, and we've got ourselves a heavyweight uh, bout on Saturday, a 3.30, rare. Usually Ohio State plays these games at 8 o'clock, or they play the Michigan game at noon, so a rare 3.30 game at the Shoe between Ohio State and Penn State. The setup to this is pretty simple. I think all the pressure's on Urban's program. James Franklin's with House Money. He beats Urban a year ago. He's undefeated. If Urban loses here, Ohio State's out of the national championship picture with a senior quarterback. Can you give me the broad strokes for you on, on how you view this one coming into uh, you know last weekend in October in a big showdown in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, for Penn State, this is the, the middle section of the three-really game gauntlet that they have. You know, they had the bye week coming into the Michigan game. Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator, unveiled some wrinkles with Saquon Barkley. And quite honestly, they outcoached Jim Harbaugh's staff. And uh, they lit up that number one ranked defense. I thought Trace McSorley played really well. I thought their receiving core showed how athletic they are. And I thought their defense played very well. But there's a caveat there. I mean, Michigan's offense has really struggled all year. So we don't know. We think they're pretty good on the defensive side of the ball at Penn State, but we don't know for sure. And I think this is going to be a much tougher test. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is way more dynamic than any of the Michigan running backs. And the way J.T. Barrett has been playing since the Oklahoma game uh, has been very impressive. You know, it seems like he's gotten into a rhythm with, you know, with Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day, the two new coaches there. Um for me, this is kind of a flip of what happened last week in Happy Valley because it was Penn State who was the team that was, you know, had the bye week and they were coming off of, you know, an embarrassing loss to Michigan last year. Obviously, Penn State beat Ohio State last year. It wasn't a blowout, but nobody saw that coming just because you got to remember going into that game last year, there were a lot of people, especially in Happy Valley, who were saying James Franklin was on the hot seat. They weren't buying it. And then they got that big win, and they've been rolling ever since. I think this is going to be a very tall ask for Penn State to come out of there with a win because of because of all the factors that have, have lined up. But, you know, who knows? I mean, they've surprised a lot of people. I just think that, you know, if they can get through this, then they have Michigan State. Um, I don't know if I disagree with your contention about, you know, all the pressure on Urban Meyer, because I think if, if Penn State loses this game, you know, their their title, their playoff hopes after getting, you know, locked out last year as a two-loss Big Ten champ, I think their their title hopes, will t- their playoff hopes will take a big hit as well, regardless of how they can bounce back. Just well, from the sense that it would be an elimination game for Urban. You know, if he loses, he's done. I mean, they're out of the playoff. And, and they've kind of been lining up this JT Barrett run, you know, obviously. And there's so many parallels to 2014, Bruce, in, in that, you know, that – End of the 2013 season, Ohio State loses the Big Ten title game to Michigan State. They get beaten by Clemson in the Orange Bowl. They lose to Virginia Tech to start the – and everyone's in panic mode. I mean, Braxton Miller's gone, JT. Then they get on this run, and it's interesting, the symmetry, because in 2014, I don't know if you remember this game or not, they go to Michigan State, and JT Barrett puts himself in the Heisman consideration. He ends up finishing fifth. He plays his best game as a Buckeye quarterback. And, and the parallels between that season and this season are right on. And, and I guess that's where I think the pressure is because, it, you know, they've had this kid starting for four years. And if they lose to Penn State at home, then, then it, it's kind of all is lost. 
uh, a little bit for, from a perspective of this is the guy you've been having it lined up for for a long time. So I guess when I say the pressures on Urban, obviously there's no hot seat. It's him and Saban. They're the best in the business. But just from the standpoint of he would be out of the national title picture before we get into November, that'd be an interesting spot for him to be in. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it. I mean, the parallel to me, you know, what I remember about that title team was I thought their offensive line improved as much as any group uh, in the country that year from being exposed by Bud Foster's defense to, mm. you know, just mauling people when, when Zeke Elliott went on that great three-game run, you know, started with the Wisconsin game, and then uh, certainly it was in the two two playoff games. The part I'm – honestly skeptical about a little bit because you know our crew uh we did a the week after the oklahoma game our crew mm-hmm. uh joe davis myself and brady quinn had the army game now obviously army doesn't have the kind of you know talent that other teams have but they're well coached and they're this is probably as good an army team as we've seen in a while and the part brady quinn and i had kind of discussed offline a lot was you know, I said, well, is it a parallel? Because JT Barrett back then was a really young quarterback. Now he's played a ton of football. Is the is the learning curve the same? And the, you know, Brady's contention, which could be a valid one, was, hey, this is the third system he's had in three years. You know, mm-hmm. that in a lot of ways, that's like being a freshman all over again. And and maybe he's right. Now, the game we had, as you guys will remember, the Army game, JT, you know, they obviously blew the, blew out Army, but you know, downfield passing was still a question mark. You know, either he missed some throws or even when he, you know, they had completions, there were some that were, you know, it was behind the receiver, just kind of just, it wasn't sharp. And I think that's the question is, is where are they and how, you know, how is he going to play against the Penn State defense that's improved, but certainly doesn't have the kind of personnel that, that we're seeing, you know, that, that Greg Shiano's working with. I mean, I think, you know, JT Barrett has obviously been a huge topic of conversation for us, not just, you know, how he's going to perform this year, but his legacy in general. And I think it's really interesting how people have perceived him in Columbus because he's gone from being this, you know, unexpected savior to incredibly frustrating to a third string quarterback, apparently in some people's eyes, back to, you know, where we kind of saw him in 2014. Um, Overall, though, I mean... Regardless of what happens on Saturday, where do you think his legacy should stand, I guess, as an Ohio State quarterback in the last, you know, couple decades, I guess? Well, I think you got to start with the only three-time captain in the storied history of Ohio State. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable statement given all the talent that has played there. Uh, you know, you talk to people inside the program, and here's the part where, you know, again, and uh, as somebody who I grew up an Ohio State fan in, like, the Arch Schleister era kind of thing, um, and I don't want to, you know, it's not trying to be disrespectful to, to, to diehard fans, but sometimes when you call, when people are like calling for the backup, it's like, you know, never mind that Urban Myers, you know, knows way more about football than, you know, pretty much everybody else who's <laughs> questioning him. But they're there every day. They're there in a, for every drill, for every test, for every, you know, detail oriented thing. Whereas, you know, whether we're in the media or, or fans, you just, you're exposed to so, such limited stuff, you know, and, and I think, when, you know, in our game, that was, I think, the first game Dwayne had, Haskins had gone in there, you know, he's got an impressive arm. There's no doubt about that. But I think when you look, people look at it and go, okay, well, it, it's, you know, it's a bottom line business, but at the same time, um, you know, the standard is so high. It's basically Heisman or bust, you know, and I think that's unfortunate because this guy's a terrific quarterback. You know, they've had where they average over 40 points a game last year. And, 
And I don't think when the passing game isn't as sharp, that's not just a quarterback thing. That's, you know, young receivers or inexperienced receivers or, you know, some of them on the line. It can be some in pass protection. There's just a lot of things that go into it. Uh, you know, he's, he runs the ball pretty well. I think there's a, there's a lot of pot there's beyond positive. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, the question is if I ask you guys, who's the best quarterback Ohio state's had, you know, in your lifetime. So I'm curious, you know, what the answers would be. There's been a lot of good quarterbacks. Has there been a great one? Um, and you know, sometimes when we answer that question, I feel like it's sometimes it's kind of bogus because you end up with saying, okay, well, if you ask a Michigan fan, they're going to think, some are going to think Tom Brady. Well, Tom Brady wasn't, he didn't have a great college career. He obviously had an awesome NFL career. And I think sometimes we let what happened in the NFL kind of color how we think about what they did in college. And sometimes we let some other stuff. I mean, JT Barrett's won a ton of games and he's won a lot of big games, you know, but um, I think that legacy is still to be written, whether he's an outstanding player or he's an all time great. I mean, but, you can't question, I mean, the fact that he's been a three-time captain, I mean, that, that should speak for itself, and I think you got to start there. I think the hard part is, is he had to follow Braxton, who was asked to do so much and was so spectacular. Um, you know, Braxton was like a he was like an Xbox player. I mean, you just don't see people, you don't see quarterbacks make those type of spectacular plays. JT Barrett, anybody who watches football, or most people who watch football, would acknowledge that JT Barrett is the better quarterback. But because Braxton had these crazy plays, and it was like at any point, I mean, you remember Peter Warwick at, at Florida State. He kind of had that mm-hmm. to him. Like, you just didn't know, my God, what's he going to do this time? And he'd spin and jump, cut, and bounce through. And he was so spectacular. And, and JT is kind of like, he's just really good at everything. You know, like there's, but you rarely get like that moment where you, like the, he has this famous run in 2014 against Minnesota, which is the longest quarterback run in the history of the program. And it's like, it seems like just a long jog. You know, like it's not a so the, I think unfortunately for that's him in the still eyes the of the funniest of sorry to interrupt, but that's still the yeah. funniest play I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, he just kind of this about, banana run. It took it about 30 seconds for him to yeah. run that's, across the entire field. And it was it was amazing, but it was also ridiculous. It, and that's I think I, he's like kind, Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think the 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 lack of you know these wow plays that people are gonna put on YouTube over and right. over and over again diminishes him a little bit unfairly. Yeah. And so he's, he's kind of a product of that, but he's, he's got a chance here over the last month. You mentioned three-time captain. He could be another finalist for the Heisman very easily. He could win it. Um, and he could be the quarterback on, you know, how many teams have played in the playoff and played for national time. I mean, it's all on a platter for him. So his, you know, he can, he can go on the Mount Rushmore if, if the next month goes well, which is a pretty remarkable thing. He already has all the records. Um, Bruce, as you, as you look at this, you, I, I kind of, I'm jumping to, to conclusions a little bit. It feels like you f- feel pretty good about Ohio State's perspective in this game. Um, what's what's a roadmap as you kind of view how this one will go on Saturday afternoon? How do, how do you kind of see it? You know, I think that Penn State will will get some yardage. I mean, I, I could see them, I would say, moving up and down the field, but I can see them hitting some big plays. I mean, to me, Trace McSorley has some Baker Mayfield in him. Uh, you know, he's really, really aggressive. He plays very confident. He can make plays with his legs. He's in a, he's in a really good system. He, I think he has much better skill guys around him. I mean, there's no comparison. Saquon Barkley is better than the two really good running backs that, that Baker had last year. And he's certainly better than yeah. anything he had. And they don't, you know, Mark Andrews is really good. I think Mike Gasicki is even better, even more explosive athlete. The receivers are better. They are bigger and more <clears> physical. 
The area that I think will be a challenge for them, though, is Oklahoma's offensive line, to me, is better than what Penn State has. And there, you know, I thought they responded well against Michigan because Michigan's, you know, defensive defensive front is legit. But I think Michigan, I think Ohio State is even better. So that's going to be a long night, I think, for, for that part of it. Um, but the part where I, I think that Penn State will have a hard time with is just will they be able to stay against the the this Ohio State run game for four quarters because you know JT Barrett's going to hit doubles and singles and I think JK Dobbins is going to hit triples and home runs and I think that you know for four quarters I don't I just get the feeling that that Penn State may may run out of gas emotionally getting into the second half I just think it's just it's a lot to ask for them to get back up into this environment against a team that's even more talented than the one they just beat. I want to, uh, I want to, I want to ask you a question about your book, the quarterback, the making of the modern quarterback. But before I do that, I want to ask you about your previous book, which is, or I'm sure you've written several, but the other one I'm very aware of is the Mike Leach book. Mike has, has been, has gotten this second life, you know, through social media with these incredible answers he gives to who's better a Viking or a pirate in these weekly press conferences. And um, I've long been admirer of him as a coach in terms of what he does throwing the football. Um, and I'm curious if, if there's a fit for him as I watch Nebraska just fall off a cliff, do you, you've been around him. Would, would he, would that be a play? I would, would that be a place he'd be interested in? Would that be a, a fit? Yes. For, that for would Mike be a yes. That would be a yes. I think that's a definite yes. The, 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 the intriguing part here is, Leach, by the way, thank you for the kind words about the book. Leach is a, uh, he's kind of nuts. I mean, he really is what <laughs> you guys see. And Amazing. he's not for everybody. You know, he's a really good coach. He's, he's brilliant in what he does. He's going to out-execute everybody. That's his thing. You know, it's like he had, you know, he, he, one of his guys he hired to be his running back coach, uh, Jim Mastro. He, Mastro and Chris Alt really created the pistol offense at Nevada. People were like, oh, he's going to incorporate some of the pistol into this. This ought to be interesting. No, he's not doing any of that. Leach doesn't add anything. If he's going to add something, he's got to take something out. That's the way he feels. And so he's incredibly stubborn. In, a, in an industry full of really stubborn type A's, he's the most stubborn guy in coaching, I'm convinced. But the one guy who gave him a chance, went into Key West to go hire him after he was kind of in exile, was Bill Moose. And Bill Moose was the, was the AD at Washington State. He just got hired last week to be the AD at Nebraska. He is a total cowboy mentality in terms of I'm the search committee. And he's a strong-willed guy. Leach loved him. Uh, it's the best AD relationship Leach had with, has ever had. Uh, he, would, he also was really cl close with the, pr the old president at Washington State, Dr. Elson Floyd, who had passed away from an illness about a year ago. The new president, I think he has an okay relationship with, but not like Dr. Floyd and Moose moving on. I think, you know, I, I think if Leach could, could get Nebraska, I think he would go in a heartbeat. I really do. Now the question is going to be Scott Frost is tearing it up at UCF. Mm -hmm. My gut is, and Scott Frost obviously played at Nebraska. He's, he could be in play for a bunch of these SEC jobs that honestly have better recruiting bases. And he may look and go, you know what? I could probably get better athletes consistently someplace else in Nebraska. You know, I could see Nebraska, you know, having interest in Chip Kelly too, and that could be interesting. You know, if I was a Big Ten coach in another school, I do not want Chip Kelly in that league. But um, 
because I think he would he would like get that going. But um, if not, I think Leach is a legit player in it for Nebraska because I know Moose uh, would be would be fine with hiring him. And there's not a lot of ads who who would want the kind of headache of dealing with the like Mike Leach stuff. You have a book coming out, uh, the quarterback, the making of the of the modern quarterback. Um, I I have it. I don't. I know it's coming out next month. Does it no, address it's the been out issue? For a while. It's been oh, out for some a reason while, I thought so. it was on November third. I'm sorry. My apologies. No, it's been it's been out for a couple of years, but I uh, I need to update. My oh, I saw it on your Twitter. Bio. I'm I'm sorry, but I'm I'm curious. I have not read it clearly. I'm curious if it addresses if 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 you take a deep dive on something like that and you look at the way that there's no quarterbacks in the NFL and such a such a lack of of, of people who can play the position at the NFL level. What conclusions do you draw with what's going on in the NFL quarterback-wise? Well, I think that people get too much caught into, like, pigeonholing guys. I mean, Dak Prescott was not a traditionally groomed quarterback in that system. He went to the Cowboys. Now, granted, it was a good you know, good situation. He had a great offensive line, a, a ace receiver, and a good running back. And so he thrived, though. And I think you see, you know, how fickle it all is. I mean, Alex Smith had like five different coaches in five years. He really struggled. I think it's rare where a guy, maybe Aaron Rodgers could be the exception where, you know, you could have not ideal circumstances and still thrive. But, you know, we see it takes all types. Russell Wilson's five, ten and a half, and he, you know, he can win a Super Bowl. And Drew Brees is six feet. You know, Steve Young is probably six feet too and had a lot of success. And then there's other guys who are, you know, but you if you're going to be, you know, not the prototype, you better have some special traits. And I think one thing we've seen, and really what I try to focus in on the book, and it's funny, the, the, really the, the, the launch point for the book is in Columbus because there was a, uh, there was a camp and I can tell you exactly how long ago it is, but this, where I was uh, in Columbus with all the elite 11 guys and it was a loaded Nike camp. So that group, Deshaun Kaiser was, was there. It was probably about um, I remember Brandon Harris was probably about 15 division one quarterbacks there. And, um, you know, it was just such a deep group of, of talent and you would just see how he had all these different, uh, private quarterback coaches who were working the camp. A lot of these guys were former NFL backups and whatnot. Um, and that industry had just kind of taken off. And so you'd see, um, you know, where the development is because almost all these quarterbacks now have some kind of guru and I do think in a lot of ways they're more prepared to kind of hit the ground running, but also there's a level of entitlement that you're dealing with that makes it challenging and kids are more in line to transfer and not, not stay in it because they can see the opportunity to go play someplace else. And, and uh, you know, it's like everybody knows here, this kid's a five-star, this kid's a four-star. And I mean, it's, it's a tough deal. I mean, I, I think at some point I remember seeing uh, Tate Martell when he was a ninth grader there and he's, <laughs> he was out with uh, Steve Clarkson, you know, and, and you just, it, it, the thing that struck me with the book is it's like, so it was like one degree of separation from all these guys. And it was just a, a fascinating project to work on. You know, I spent a bunch of time with Tom Herman in that and just, you know, everybody kind of knows of everybody. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting little subculture of football. 
Bruce, it's been a treat to have you on, and I will read that book, especially now that it's been out for quite, quite a while, and, and still relevant now because many Deshaun Kaiser's right here in Cleveland, and I, I see what's happened to the poor kids. So uh, maybe even more fascinating to read now. But I appreciate your time and your insight on all things, and um, we really do appreciate you coming on. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Like I told you before, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of the site you guys have and what you guys do. It's a great resource for us. Thank you very much. Don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I want to remind you also about the dry goods store. Johnny, I got a, uh, I got a text today from the czar mm-hmm. of an upcoming item in dry goods that fits me like a glove. Uh, this is <laughs> a very exciting dry goods option that will, that is in the, I don't know, near future. Hopefully for the holidays, we'll see. I'm, I'm probably saying too much already. Uh, but I'm excited for this specific item. Are you aware of the item I'm speaking of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, okay. it's not. It's okay. items actually. So we've got several things that we're we're looking at okay. for the holiday season. I you will you know definitely. Which one I'm referring to though, right? Say again. You know the one I'm referring to, right? Oh yeah, me? absolutely. Yeah, you'll definitely enjoy the one you're talking about. I think yeah. that's that's yeah. very nice. Yeah. Um, we got that's a lot of good stuff. We also have uh, the hoodies that just came out. I actually just ordered one yesterday, and I'm really excited. Oh, about cool. It. Yeah, so people have been clamoring for that for a while. So we got those out. Um, we got a gray one. We got a, a black one with the Love Warriors logo on it. So it's going to be really cool. And I definitely recommend people check that out, especially as it actually gets cold in Ohio um, and, and not like 80 degrees. And I, I don't want to like kill myself every single freaking day because I walk outside in you know, shorts and a T-shirt. And it's you know, a northern state in the middle of October. So that's right. There are very, get it, get very a blue gray October skies, man. It's been hot. Well, finally this weekend that's and and let's so and and so let's get to it ohio state penn state and and uh you're reminded of the grantland rice uh, outlined against a blue gray october sky because we're going to get it we're going to get a blue gray october sky we are going to get a 330 kick we are going to get a game that starts in the day and ends at night it's going to look spectacular save for ohio state's uniforms uh, at stake is everything we talked about and as as you know, we had Bruce Feldman on, obviously just heard him. He's very confident about Ohio State's chances. I'm pretty confident about Ohio State's chances, too. I think there's a reason they opened it a 10-point favorite. I don't know if it's a reflection on Penn State necessarily other than just the circumstance. Uh, the circumstance of Ohio State having a bye, the circumstance of Penn State coming off an emotional win against Michigan, uh, the circumstance of Urban Meyer just rarely loses games like this to the same team in back-to-back years. He's usually ready to roll, and the parallels to 2014 are there, and they are obvious. Um, I'm very confident going into this game. So before we get into the three things, just kind of what's your mindset going into Ohio State and Penn State? I'm not as confident, and no. I, I okay. think it's going to be a really close game. Say again? Dan Hope. He's he picked Penn State. He real he he says he thinks they're the better team. God bless him. Yeah, I mean, look, I I've got a a history on the website of picking you know Ohio State to lose major home games and being right each time. Okay, that I've done that. So against Oklahoma, I was correct. Yeah, against were. Virginia Tech, I was correct. You um, I don't know that I'm willing too. to go that far against Penn State, but what I will say is that I think it's going to be really, really close. I am terrified when we get to this in the three things, we can, we can get into it. But yeah. I think there are some elements of, of Penn State's offense that could just brutalize Ohio State's defense. And having watched the game against Michigan, you know, Michigan, obviously their defense has been, you know, kind of exposed as a bit of a paper tiger, but. Um, some of the things that Penn State was able to do schematically really, really worries me against Ohio State's defense, and I'm not quite sure that the offense will be able to keep up. So I think it's going to be a relatively high-scoring game, and I think it's going to be close. 
And I hope that Ohio State's going to be able to pull it off, but I'm not ready to make a prediction quite yet. Maybe I'll talk myself into one after the. <laughs> so well, I mean, if you called Virginia Tech. I mean, I remember I, you call Oklahoma, and if you call Virginia Tech, you got to feel for these type of things. Let's get to the three things for me uh, right out of the gate, and it's the most obvious. You said you're not, and uh, and to me, it's really the whole thing because I, I I'm with you. Penn State's going to score. Uh, if you watch them last week, I've watched them several times this year. Penn State's covered. I want to say like 10 out of 11 weeks, like it's crazy. Like they, all they do is cover and they just, they just can outscore you. They do so many things. So my first thing is that, that JT can't be good. He has to be great because I think Ohio state's going to have to keep pace uh, with Penn state. And I think, I think JT Barrett can't have a so, so JT Barrett game. I think he's really got to make them pay because they're going to load up to stop the run and stop JK and Weber. And it's going to be imperative that JT Barrett, throws the ball accurately with confidence and puts his receivers in position to make plays. Um, This is kind of a referendum. This is, I can't understate this. This is really a referendum game for him. You asked, you know, Bruce about his legacy. And I think we can all answer it. Like if he's great, you know, on Saturday, on Saturday afternoon, he's the Heisman front runner. I mean, that happens like that. It happens if he's great. Um, He's the Heisman front runner. Ohio state's in the driver's seat for the playoff. If they lose and he struggles, it's all gone, and there will be people the next week who want to see Dwayne Haskins because this will be a lost year. So that's the way that you play quarterback at Ohio State. That's the pendulum swing, but he's got to be great. That's my first thing. He can't be good. He's got to be great. And which I think is – I mean, you're right. You're 100% right about that. But it's hilarious that a dude who has – I think he's like 27 touchdowns, one interception, right? Mm-hmm. That's where he's at mm-hmm. right now. One interception and that's 200 right. plus passing attempts could be that's right. basically pillared, you know, tarred and feathered. Yeah. He loses That's against right. the second team in the country. That's uh, right. You know it's true, though. Yeah, it is. There will be a section of the fan base who will do that. Yeah. No, it's 100% true. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but my first thing is, is actually not JT Barrett, although I do think he is an enormous part of this. Uh, but for me, it's Trace McSorley. I, look, I think JT Barrett has to be good. I, I think he has to be very good. Uh, I, I think more importantly, though, he has to be better than Trace McSorley. If Trace McSorley has a really uncomfortable game because the defensive line is getting to him consistently. He has to make reads and, and all this other stuff way more quickly than he's used to. Um, he's not able to maybe dump down to uh, Barkley, you know, like on, on like a third option or something like that. Uh, then he's going to have to, he's going to have to make plays. He's going to have to actually do some things that maybe he hasn't been expected to do in the past couple of weeks. So for me, it's about putting pressure on him, making sure that he's uncomfortable and that he's not, able to get into a rhythm if, if that is you know something that the Ohio State defense can accomplish I think they have a much much better chance of winning the game I, I think they have a really good shot of doing it I'll, I'll piggyback off that for my number two and um, look it, you got to try to stop Barkley I don't know if you can he's so great um, and and can just make something out of nothing and they use my god he's a kick returner they split him out wide they direct snap to him like it, it's weird to have a player that versatile who's also a running back typically those guys are like the Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel types. Mm-hmm. So to have it be a true running back with his type of size and girth is, is pretty surprising. And that's why people love him in the NFL. And uh, while he'd probably be a top 10 pick because he has that type of explosiveness and he's so versatile, but it, and, and, and same thing with McSorley and Gasecki and the big receivers on the outside. It's all those things, but it's really, can Ohio state limit Penn state's home runs? Yes. Can they limit the big plays? Because what Penn State does, it's amazing to me when you watch them, McSorley will throw the ball 25 yards down the field a dozen times. He yep. just th- slings it. And, and a lot of times they just go make plays. 
because they're big kids on the edges and because Gasecki is just a free, he's like baby Gronk. So because they have all of this, they just throw it up and they win a lot of those battles. And, and, and the same thing with Barkley, can you keep, when he cuts against grain, can you, can you limit that to a 15 yard gain instead of a 75 yard touchdown? Mm-hmm. That that's the deal because Penn state's going to move the ball, but they hit home runs and you've got to limit their home runs. And so that takes discipline across the board. It takes dic- discipline in a secondary that's been ravaged and certainly was 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 just done whatever it, it wanted to against when Oklahoma handled them. They have got to have gotten better in five weeks. They've got to have stayed disciplined. They've got to have ball discipline. That's the thing. Can you limit their home runs? Because they will attempt. They're like Aaron Judge. I mean, they swing for the fences a lot, <laughs> and they miss some, but they do connect on some. And they are right. from a big play offense – this is the most dangerous big play offense Ohio State's played probably since Clemson. Yeah, no, I look it, to me number two is, and I, and I thought about this the entire mission game while I was watching it, is the pass catching ability of Squam Barkley and yeah. Mike Gusecki. That's it. Like they have, they, that's not it. They've got tons of other dudes, but they do. The, what was keeping me up at night? What was freaking me out is the idea of a linebacker having to drop back in coverage against Gusecki or. Somebody who is not six foot, whatever, six foot six or whatever he is, um, you know, trying to match up with him like in the flat or some crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Because I saw him jump over Trace McSorley on that touchdown right. celebration, yeah, right? right? Like literally that's over right. his head. Um, that kind of thing worries me a lot. And if, if they can scheme to keep guys like that from getting first downs, especially when you've got like third and long or, you know, second and long or something like that. Uh, then you've then you've got something going, but man, those are some really difficult weapons to stop consistently. I think Saquon Barkley, look, he has enormous talent, and he, like you said, he's very very versatile, can do tons of things. But he's up and down as a running back. Like I, I think people need to acknowledge that. Like the dude is not a J.K. Dobbins necessarily, where he's just going to run the ball over and over and over and always be successful. He might get you 200 yards one game and then 40 yards the next game, right? Running the well, ball. Well, here's but what he does though. Catch. But they'll still That's catch 125 it. yards, right? When the well is dry, they put him somewhere else. Exactly. They don't keep running him into a brick wall. Like they'll do, they'll find another way to get him involved. So that's, right. I mean, he leads the country in all purpose yards. That's right. what's crazy. You right. know, I mean, his, and so Ohio State's defense yeah. has to make sure that they don't just focus on his running ability. You've got to be able to take away something, but you're not going to be able to take away everything. And understanding those matchups are going to be really key for Ohio State's defense. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. I mean, they're they're very very good. They're very good offensively. It's a big challenge. Um, typically, and fi- my my third one, and this one hits very home, very close to home because of what happened a year ago in this game. And it's when you play, oftentimes when you play a team of like or equal value talent wise as you. It and and people, oh, it's cliche. It's cliche. Well, it's cliche because it's true. It's special teams and turnovers. That's it. It these two teams are pretty close athletically. They're pretty close talent wise. Ohio State, the last few times in big games, has been dreadful in special teams. Dreadful. Yeah. Block kick, block punt, return touchdowns. Penn State had two of them last year. In the two, two special teams miscues by Ohio State gets Penn State the win a year ago. You think about how bad Ohio State was on special teams in the Michigan game and the Clemson game. Like, has that, it's been a year. Has that been shored up? We haven't seen it to this point in this season, anything spectacular out of special teams. They special teams cannot cost you this game, and it can if you let it. And so that 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 aspect, it's nothing glamorous. It's not something that that you go, oh, there's insight. 
let's it's the simple thing. When you play a team that has equal value of you talent wise, the, these games are decided and determined by special teams and turnovers. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, and, and that's unfortunately somewhere where, like you said, Ohio state has struggled with a little bit. And I mean, for me, I mean, I, I want to see somebody emerge. My third thing, I, I want to see somebody emerge um, in the wide receiver group. I want them to have a game like Noah Brown did against Oklahoma. Yeah. Like, I, I want to see somebody do something really spectacular where they force the Penn State defense to account for them on every play. Like, obviously, you're going to, you know, you're going to look at JT. You're going to look at, you know, J.K. Dobbins and, and, and acknowledge where they are in the field at all times. But if a guy like Ben Victor, right, can use his size and go out on fades and just scare the absolute hell out of Penn State's, you know, cornerbacks and secondary, I want to see that on a consistent basis because that will change the tenor of the game if they have to account for someone that they haven't planned for. And I think there are guys with the talent to do that, with the talent to emerge and do that. Uh, but you got a game plan for it. Like you've got to actually put them into the overall flow and allow their talent to kind of show out and they can they can do that kind of thing. But um, I really think it's imperative that Ohio State is not just the JT and JK show on Saturday. Yeah. They got to get somebody else involved on a consistent basis offensively. Finally, sir. You you were leaning Penn State. You almost talked me into Penn State, and I almost talked myself <laughs> into Penn State when talking about their offensive talent. How do you feel now? I mean, look, it's a home game. I think Ohio State's defense has started to kind of figure some things out. I still – Gusecki honestly worries me at this point more than Saquon Barkley, which I know is a crazy thing to say, but I just – I hate that matchup in the Ohio State secondary. Yeah. Um I don't know. You know what? I'm still going to give this to Ohio State. I think Urban, like, I think he knows, like, you kind of talked about this, right? Like, this is kind of a statement game for him in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. It's a big one um, for him. Well, and one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, you've got a hotshot young coach who came into Columbus, right, in, in, you know, in September and, and made Ohio State and Urban Meyer kind of look foolish, frankly, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Like, they were out coaching that game. And I believe that Urban Meyer is going to make up for that. I think he's going to understand that he's got to kind of reestablish himself in the coaching world a little bit. Nobody's going to say that he's not good or nobody's going to say he's not a legendary coach. But to recapture some of that momentum, especially in the Big Ten, he, I think, understands how big of a deal this is. Um, He's been talking about how good the team's been practicing the past couple weeks. I, I think Ohio State pulls it out. I think this is going to be really, really close, but I think it's going to be in the game, uh, you know, a game with a score of something like 35 30 or 35 33 or somewhere along those lines. Uh, and Ohio State, Ohio State will clamp down the second half and, and hopefully pull it out. You bring up a great point, and it's, it's why I feel confident that Ohio State will win. Um, James Franklin gets him last year. Yeah. Dabo Sweeney gets him last year. Lincoln Riley gets him this year. Um, boy. You know, you're going to lose twice to James Franklin. Uh, these are guys you recruit against, you know, right. and if they're exactly. beating you, they're, if they're beating you at some point, recruits start to say, wait a second, maybe, I, you know, and it's already happened at Clemson. Obviously they get whoever they get, they have great classes every year. Um, but in the case of what's interesting about the case of James Franklin um, is if he could turn, if he beats Ohio state again, because they're recruiting the same kids. Mm-hmm. They play the same type of offense. Franklin wants to same, play the same type of offense that Urban plays. He wants the pro, you know, dual threat quarterbacks. Um, so that that would be just an incredible blow to the mystique that Urban has created around Ohio State. I just don't think I don't see it happening. You know, when he was at Florida, he played Georgia and Florida State. Florida's two biggest rivals. Twelve times he went he went ten and two against them. Um, so 
he's not accustomed to losing games like this in back-to-back years and certainly not used to losing them at all. And he's obviously been great against Michigan. But Penn State's the bigger rival at the moment, not in the sense of we hate Penn State, but in the sense of they've taken something from you. And they're the bigger threat. Michigan at the moment is not a threat on the field. They're not. Uh, Penn State's the bigger threat on the field. Urban knows that. And and they're the bigger threat in recruiting at the moment as well. So so this is a big one for him. And, and I, I have a hard time seeing uh, him losing twice in a row. So I do think Ohio State wins. I think I'm with you. I think it'll be a classic. I think it'll be high scoring. I think you're going to enjoy it. Get your popcorn ready. All those things. Um, and I also think that the loss, a loss for Penn State, does not eliminate them in any way from the national championship picture. They will still yeah. be smack dab in the middle of it. Um, and Bruce I still said think- that it does, but I I, yeah. I got to disagree with them on that one because yeah. it's no, they'll be fine. You're right. Yeah. I mean, they, they've they've built up enough prestige over the past, yeah. you know several weeks, yeah. several months to, to recover, I think, from a loss to yeah. Ohio Absolutely. They lose a close game in the shoe, they drop to like sixth. Right. That's it. And, they, mean, you know, and you can fine. still have the opportunity to make the Big Ten championship game. You know, yeah. like there's there's a lot that can oh, happen. Yeah. So Yeah, they yeah, still play Michigan State. I mean, they yeah, yep. I mean, they, they'll be fine. And I think there's a decent chance, as you look at the landscape, that Ohio State and Penn State could both make the playoff. I think that's very much in play. Uh, yeah. with, with a close Ohio State win here. So um, I, 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 think, I think we're headed for a classic. I'm thrilled that it's at 3.30, and, uh, and, and I really can't wait to get it going. Uh, we got a, we got time for one or two Ask Us Anything's if you have any for us this week. Yeah, let's friend. do one quick one. Uh, please continue okay. sending those in to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Uh, just real quick, this is from Alvin, our good friend Alvin. Uh, I really like this question. He wants to know the best and worst sports movie of all time. The worst sports movie of all time is The Fan. It was okay. this absurd movie with Wesley Snipes as a uh, <laughs> San right. Francisco Giants outfielder. And Bobby De Niro was a knife salesman who uh, felt that Snipes wronged him. And, uh, and, the, and then in the, I remember the penultimate, the, the, the culmination of the movie is a game being played in six inches of rain with no reason why. Uh, right. I guess like, what the hell was the deal? Wesley Snipes is like somehow wrong. It was the worst movie of all time. Wesley Snipes somehow wronged him like with autographs or some nonsense for his kid. And so De Niro ends up as the umpire in the game trying to kill Wesley Snipes in a game with six inches of rain. It was the most absurd, stupid sports movie of all time. They, it tried to make it a thriller. I mean, it's just the worst. Um, the best is Hoosiers. So that's that's where that's right. Sits. Well, and, and Hoosiers, I, look, I don't think Hoosiers is unimpeachable. I, I enjoy Hoosiers quite a bit. I think it's a very, very good movie. I wouldn't put it as the best of all time. Um, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that the best of all time is, of course, Air Bud. Um, you know, that's, 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 that's not even really close. If you, want, if you want a classic tale of a dog that becomes a star basketball player, that's, that's, you really can't do any better than that. Um, right. But besides Air Bud uh, and all of its yeah. sequels and all of the, you know, Air There was a sequel buddies. to Air Bud? Oh, my God. There's like five. And then they've wow. got Air Buddies. They've got like all the little dogs, oh like all it's, God. you know, and they talk and they wow. go into space. It's really not really a sports movie at that point. But anyway, with that said, as a kid, I was a huge connoisseur of all the really, really garbage, um, like Disney related sports movies and things like that. <laughs> I mean, look, I can be really ironic and throw out like D2, The Mighty Ducks, for just how unbelievably, blindingly insane that movie is. Um, I could throw out, but that's not, that's know. more like you're doing like mystery science theater, right? Well, no, I mean you know because you really level, don't like you really can't lot. possibly think that that D two mighty is a good is like a great sports movie. Oh no, like it's no, a, it's mean, absurd. 
Yeah, no, but that on a certain level, I enjoy it. But you know, like the Sandlot, yeah. I have a lot of memories of watching the Sandlot. Sandlot's as a kid. great. Yeah. But as a as a sports movie, as a, a pure like sports movie, I think Hoosiers is really high up there. I honestly, and this is kind of a recent one that I really love. I don't know that it necessarily stands with the Hoosiers, but Goon. Did you ever watch that movie? No, Sean William Scott. I can't really yeah. do. Well, you know what? I can't either. But in that movie, he plays completely against type. He's totally different than what he is in in most of these movies. He's not a smart ass. He's not like a sarcastic guy. He just plays a really sweet, dumb guy. And it's a fantastic hockey movie. I mean, they they do a great job, like, you know, kind of portraying hockey as I I kind of imagine it really is. Um, You know, I remember the Titans was great. I mean, that's I really great, like Remember the Titans. I think Remember the Titans movie. is a great football movie. They, yeah. I love the part it's that just they a great know. movie. I mean, the the based in history. I mean, there's a lot of good there. Yeah, I would say Remember the Titans yeah. is really good. I, I would put that pretty high up there. Actually, I would say that's yeah. probably maybe my personal uh, favorite. Uh, the worst yeah. one, and I and I'm going to go back to the really crappy Disney movies. This is when they try to capitalize on every you know specific sport to try to make a movie out of it. Uh, but the Big Green, which is a soccer movie. I don't even uh, know what sorry. that is. Say again. I don't even know what that is. I've never oh, okay. heard of it. So it's it's this god awful movie about a Texas soccer youth soccer team, and essentially you've got the kid who played the the fat kid from Sandlot, who is the goalie, <laughs> and you've basically got all funny. the worst parts of the Mighty Ducks movie, the worst parts of the Sandlot movie, and like some of the good parts of Little Giants, and you have a lady who's British because she's the only person who knows how to play soccer in Texas, apparently. Um, it's it's just a god-awful slog. I remember watching it as a kid, like, yeah, I love soccer, and then afterwards I was like, maybe I don't like it as much. Um, and then I saw it again as an adult, and it's just the worst hour and a half you'll ever spend in your entire life. It's depressing, it's sad, it makes no sense. The... Yeah, the game of soccer really isn't really referred to. Like, you know, they play it, but you don't really know the rules. And it's pretty clear that the people making the movie don't know the rules either. No, I do. Um, right. It's, it's, it's bad. It's real bad. I wouldn't recommend watching it. Very good. That's, that's it. Very that's good. I've got, man, I've seen a lot of bad sports movies. I'm thinking yeah. a lot of There's a lot of bad ones. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that would, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll end the list there. If we want to expand this on a future dubcast, we can, but yeah, I'll go with that. There's several that are like, there's some that are great for different reasons. Yes. You know, like Vars- Varsity Blues in the program, which are just so absurd, but are re- they're rewatchable. Like any Major League Sun- is. How do you feel? Let me ask you this. How do you feel about any, yeah. any given Sunday? I, I, it's fine. I, you know, it was fine. Right. I don't, th- you know, that it was fine. I thought some of it was. That's how I feel. About it. A lot of people. I, it was okay. Well, a lot of people love that speech at the end. They think that's the greatest thing in yeah. history. But overall, you're good. right. Like, it's, it's fine. It's okay. an okay sports movie. Yeah, it's um, fine. I mean, I thought the bet like Major League to me is the funniest. Like, I like it better than Slapshot and Caddyshack. Like, I think mm-hmm. it does the best job of of putting together a little bit of drama, some funny. You know, kind of had everything you needed in it. Um, well, there's you know there's a lot Bull- of bad ones though, man. There's a yeah, ton of bad ones. We missed Bull Durham though. Bull Dur- you like yeah, Bull-, Bull Durham's great too. I mean, it's it's up there. There's some really good ones there. Um, to me, I think Hoosiers. When you think. Of- like what what you aspire a sports movie to be unless you're trying to be funny or whatever but like at its you know field of dreams hoosiers you know those are kind of the ones that jump out but um yeah there's a, yeah there's a lot of great ones they're hard to make because in most cases the sports are impossible to shoot and the actors are not yes. athletic right. you know so there's you know like look at the basketball scenes in teen wolf for god's sakes i mean <laughs> what are we talking about here there's some bad stuff all right we want to thank bruce feldman he was excellent and uh, look, it's Penn State week. Enjoy it. Enjoy the game. And uh, we'll be back next week to discuss it. Good stuff out of you as always, my friend. Yep. Sounds good. See you next week.